This is Kismet, the adventure of the survivors of the Vengeance, a fantasy novel shared a chapter at a time. Previously, four shipwreck survivors escaped on a crude raft. Tess, a prisoner freed by the compassionate Fiona, Temur, a sailor injured in the escape, and the smart but ruthless Sanin. Now rejoin us for Kismet. Chapter 3. Sanin's Test Sanin, hugging his knees, watched Fiona. The raft rose and fell, the long, slow breath of the ocean. Fiona stared into the distance and bit her lip. She caught Sanin's gaze and, embarrassed, looked down at Temur, sleeping curled in a tight ball. I'm sorry about your friend, said Sanin. My friend, asked Fiona. The guy who drowned. Brody, said Fiona quietly. I had just met him. He was cute, Tess piped up. Too bad he's dead. Fiona and Sanin looked at Tess in shock. What? asked Tess. Fiona and Sanin looked away, toward the horizon. The swell had dropped, and the blue bowl of the sky came down to touch the flat line of the sea all the way round. Overcoming her embarrassment, Fiona addressed Tess. I am Fiona. Sanin Mickelson, added Sanin. Tess, she replied. Thanks for the lift. Fiona cast a glance at Sanin. The picture of him kicking the gambler in the face flashed through her mind. I am, started Fiona. I am grateful to be here, wherever here is. The three of them scanned the empty horizon. Sludeth dehydration said Tess. The other two looked at her again. Having their attention, Tess perked up. Alas, at the orphanage went catty, and she took almost a week to goo. Uh, pardon me, but what is catty? asked Fiona. You know, cataleptic. Like, her body was still there, but she had checked out of the inn. Anyway, the sisters tried getting water into her, but they gave up. She lingered for, she laughed, longer than my bet. How awful, said Fiona. Tess shrugged. Fiona lifted her chin. My father said, where there is life, there is hope. Tess said, my da said, nick the cigar out of their pocket before you kick them. Sanin ignored Tess. It's all luck now. He rested his head on his knees again. He added gloomily, and nobody ended up on that ship because they were born under a lucky star. Well, I saw you play cards. You played intelligently with an unlucky hand, said Fiona. As for me, I do feel lucky. I was so frightened I was going to drown. Not me, said Tess. Why not? asked Fiona. We's told we's born to hang, Tess said, putting her hands behind her head and lying back. Who told you that? asked Fiona, holding her hand to her chest. My da, said Tess. A moment passed in silence. You may have been scared, said Sanin to Fiona, but you freed the prisoners. Why did an upper-class person like you do that? I did not have time to think, she said. Sanin, hugging his knees, continued to look at her. What about you? Fiona asked. Were you not afraid you were going to drown? No, he said. I'm destined for bigger things. He frowned, thinking back to the opportunity that had been stolen from him. Nice pants, Mickelson said the gap-toothed boy, leering at Sanin's two short pants. Getting ready for the rainy season? Sanin gripped his books tighter. 
The Esquire Aushkion, standing next to the Gaptooth boy, said, Yes, perhaps your tailor father has forgotten his trade. No, he's doing well, thank you for asking, replied Sanin, and I trust your father has not forgotten his trade, sitting on his fat ass. Sanin sensed a boy moving behind him, but it was too late. A hand jammed under his arm and sent his books flying. Here's a chance for you to learn a trade of your own, Mickelson, said the Esquire, picking up after your betters. Esquire Aushkian's gap-toothed toady laughed. The school bell rang. The pudgy boy who'd spilled Sanin's books walked past him, pausing to raise his fist and lurch at Sanin. Sanin flinched. The boy laughed and followed the Esquire and the gap-toothed boy, kicking one of Sanin's books away as he passed. Sanin picked up the books, glaring at the parting trio. He jogged to the class entrance, where the rector waited. The rector placed a hand on Sanin's shoulder as they walked into the class. The rector picked up an envelope from his desk and slid out a stack of papers. He turned to his right and placed the first on a student's desk. Today is the first of three tests. He placed a test on his left. This is an important test for our school. To his right. The best student from our school. He paused to look at Sanin and he placed a test on his desk. Will be sent to Jubtaven to the Ministry of Administration to be trained, a test to his left, for the best positions in the government, a test to his right, as long as the school averages 70 points. He gave the pudgy student a look as he placed a test on his desk. You are the smartest class I have ever had. He smiled at the Esquire Aushkion as he gave him the last test. He turned and walked back up the aisle. Don't let me down. In the narrow space between two grand buildings, in what had once been an alley, a clothing shop sat like a feral cat. Maybe it didn't belong there, but it sat there so brazenly, no one thought to look at who had owned the land in the first place, or whether it should still have been an alley. Perhaps nine feet wide, they had made a shop and a residence by stacking the floors. The stairs were so steep they could pass as ladders. No space was wasted, and it had the style of a ship. Everything had a place, and everything was in its place. It was a testament to Sanin's father's failed cabinet business, itself having been built from the scraps of a failed clock business. Sanin pinned the pant leg of the old man. "'Twas my uncle's suit," said the old man. Sanin looked up, seeing the bristly hair sticking out from the old man's nostrils. "'They wanted to bury him in it, but it's too nice a suit to stick in the earth.' The man looked down at Sanin and smiled. He looked back out the window and said to himself, "'They didn't need to know.' Mm "'Mm-hmm,' mumbled Sanin, his mouth full of pins. The door to the shop opened, ringing the small brass bell that hung above it. It was a nod to convention, since the shop was so small you couldn't help but notice when someone came in. "'Laird Ashkian,' said the old man. "'Get out,' said the laird. The old man edged around the laird's belly and bolted out the door, one pant leg pinned up, the other down around his heel. "'You Mickelson?' asked the laird. Sanin took the pins from his mouth. "'Yes?' "'Yes, sir,' said the laird. "'Fetch your father.' "'Sir, yes, sir,' said Sanin with a flat tone. The laird narrowed his eyes, debating if he heard insolence, resignation, or boredom. He found teenagers very tiresome. Sanin walked to the back of the shop and climbed the ladder. He poked his head into the second-floor workshop. Da, the laird wants to speak to you. Sanin came back down with his father, Mickle, on his heels. 
Sir, your eminence, my humble father, Taylor Mickle, said Sanan, gesturing to his father and bowing. Insolence it is, thought the laird. Lairdosh Kian, what an honor, said Mickle. How can I assist you? Get your finest coat. Mickle went to the end of the rack that lined one side of the shop, pulling a periwinkle, knee-length justicor with lace-trimmed sleeves. Dust covered the shoulders. Mickle grabbed a brush and swiped at the coat as he returned to the laird. Sir, long have I waited for a man of your stature in my shop. The laird held out his arm. This felt coat is made from the finest murdo wool, said Mickle as he pulled the coat onto the laird's arm. Dyed in a style very much in fashion in the capital. The laird held out his other arm and squeezed his bulk into the coat. Cut this up the back. It's too tight, he said. Mickle hesitated. Do it, said the laird. Mickle ran his scissors up the back seam of the coat. See here, Mickle, said the laird. Your son is at the academy as a charity case. Mickle held a mirror to the laird. He ignored it. I don't hold by that kind of social climbing, said the laird, scorn in his voice. And I think we can agree your son should withdraw from the ministry tests, hmm? This color quite suits you, sir. Suits you, repeated Mickle. It wouldn't do to set your son's hopes too high, said the laird. The ministry is no place for a family of your rank. Mickle's smile was taut. The sleeves are a bit short, but I can let them out a bit. That's no trouble. The laird pulled off the coat and pushed it against Mickle's chest. Know your place. Withdraw your son. He turned and walked to the door. But the coat, sir? asked Mickle. The laird turned and scoffed. I wouldn't dress my servants in such rubbish. He walked out, leaving the door open behind him. Sanan came up to stand next to his father, watching the carriage lean as the portly laird climbed inside. Shame about the coat, said Sanan. No, sighed his father. I gave up on selling that long ago. I don't know what I was thinking about the color. He threw the split coat over a chair. What should I do? asked Sanan. Kick his son's ass. The rector beamed. The first round was excellent. Excellent! Our average score is 72. Two of our students had perfect scores. Esquire Aushkian and Mickelson. He clapped and the students reluctantly joined in. Today is the round two. Peterson and Jameson, you will also participate in this round. The rest of you are dismissed. The rector placed the new test on their desks. Sainlin looked over his shoulder at the esquire, who glared back. Sainlin rubbed his eyes. Variations on a calculation crowded the paper on his desk. He leaned back in the chair, tilting it onto two legs. His mother stepped into the circle of candlelight. I brought you some soup, she said, placing it on the desk. She wore a lace-trimmed periwinkle apron, the salvaged justicor the laird had ruined. Sanan laughed when he saw it. Your father's birthday gift to me, she said, gesturing to her apron. Do you like it? asked Sanan. It's awful, said his mother, looking over her shoulder. Don't tell your father. She reached over and turned Sanan's page of equations to read it. How was the test today? Sanan sighed. I don't know. I'm sure you did well, said his mother, placing a hand on his shoulder. I'm very pleased, said the rector, grinning at the class. We have maintained our 70-point average, and we had another perfect score. He gestured down the row of desks. Esquire Aushkian, 
He clapped. The Esquire smirked. Mickelson was right behind him, having missed only one answer. Sanin winced. Tomorrow will be the final round. I need only Esquire Aushkian and Mickelson to attend tomorrow. He bounced on the balls of his feet. For the first time, the Academy Zilko will send a student to the ministry. He waved to the class. Please take the day off. Class dismissed. Sanin darted for the door, but Esquire Aushkian's minions got there first. They slow walked through the door, and as soon as they were on the other side, they grabbed Sanin and dragged him around to the side of the building. Sanin struggled in the arms of the pudgy boy and the gap-toothed boy. The Esquire came around the corner and smirked, crossing his arms. Relax, Mickelson. I just wanted to talk. He walked closer, smiling. Did you enjoy your little fantasy? That you would make a name for yourself? He put his face right into Sanin's. Tomorrow, when I get another perfect score, you'll get to be first loser. Don't be so sure, said Sanin. Oh, don't worry about that, said the Esquire. My father has friends in the ministry. I'll get another perfect score. Sanin blinked. Realization sent ice through his veins. It was fixed. You're like your pissant father. Stop pretending you matter, said the Esquire. You'll do some pointless peasant job, squeeze out some brats, and die. No one will remember you. He jabbed his finger into Sanin's chest. No one. He turned and waved his hand at his minions. The pudgy boy punched Sanin in the stomach. They dropped him, and Sanin crumpled to the ground, gasping for breath. You wanted to see me, Rector, asked Sanin, walking into the room. Esquire Aushkian stood in front of the desk, looking smug. The rector slouched in his chair. I got the results of the third test. Sanin walked up to the desk. Esquire Aushkian got another perfect score, said the rector, looking at his hands. The esquire gave Sanin a languid smile. What are the odds, said Sanin in a flat tone. Sanin, said the rector, spreading out his fingers, you got a thirty-nine. Ha! said the esquire. The exact amount needed, continued the rector, looking up at Sanin in disbelief, to lower our school average to sixty-nine. Esquire Aushkian's face slowly fell. Disqualifying our school, finished the rector. How about that? said Sanin. He fixed the esquire with his gaze and leaned forward. Others may not, but you'll remember me, won't you? He turned and marched out of the class. Sanin's mother twisted an apron string in her fingers. Won't you reconsider? she asked. No, said Sanin, placing the last shirt in the valise. He closed it. He walked to his mother. She reached up and held his face in her hands. She smiled at him, tears in the corners of her eyes. They embraced. He stepped back. Da? he asked. The workshop. Sanin climbed down the stairs. His father sat hunched over his workbench, turning a ruler in his hands. He didn't turn to look. I'm going, Da. I know. The clock ticked. Sanin stood, his valise at his side. His father sat, his ruler in his hands. All right, said Sanin. He waited, but his father didn't reply. Sanin started down the stairs. His father turned. Sanin, he said. Sanin paused. Where will you go? Sanin didn't turn. Someplace bigger. This has been Chapter 3. Next time, 
learn why Fiona does not give her last name and how she came to be on The Vengeance. Until next time... <laughs>